Hello and welcome to the Clubhouse. This is Golf Monthly's weekly podcast. Um, and this week we're going to cast our eye over the, the various events in the world of golf. And I'm joined by um, Golf Monthly senior content editor Thomas Clark and residence tipster. Tom, how are you? I'm very well. Yourself? Yeah, not bad. Just recovering from uh, a week away in Dubai. So, uh, you know, that's pretty tough. I'll get my little violin out and play that for you. Um, And Nick, you joined me at the, uh, sorry, Nick Bonfield, who is Golf Monthly's content editor. Nick, hi. Hello, hello. And you were out in Dubai with me. How's the jet lag? Absolutely fine. It was a great week out there. It was. It was a fantastic week. And we are um, back in the office in London, back here to discuss the week's um, golfing activities. And the tours kind of, they just don't stop these days, do they? Because the European Tour 2016 season has started. Uh, down in South Africa, and that was won by Charles Schwartzel. But before we get on to that, we'll just talk very quickly about the Australian Open, because that did see the likes of Jordan Spieth and Adam Scott in action. But in the end, it was a man by the name of Matt Jones. Nick, um, give us your perspective on what took place out in Australia last week. Yeah, well, Matt Jones is a guy who seems to have found the next level over the last, what is it, 18 months or so. He won the Houston Open, I believe, to get into the Masters, which was his first win Perhaps quite surprising given the quality of his ball striking and the fact that he's mid-30s now. But he's obviously got that confidence. So what are you saying his ball striking is very good? That's quite a disparaging thing to say about a tour player. No, I wasn't saying that. I was saying that it's surrising that he wasn't fulfilling his talent given the quality of his ball striking. Okay, back in my box. Yes. Anyhow, uh, so a great <laughs> win for him, especially holding off the likes of a charging Adam Scott. Good to see him playing and putting well again. And Jordan Spieth, who just seems to contend every single time he tees up, regardless of where he's playing in the world. So it's a great performance from him and... He's someone you've got a fancy to, to have another strong season on the PGA Tour next year. And he'll be at the Open. That qualifies him for the Open, as does a man by the name of Rod Pampling, who shot fine around 61 around that golf course. Looked absolutely unbelievable around the golf. Oh, the forgotten man. Rod Pampling, yeah, great effort. I think that, what was the winning total? It wasn't... It was 800, eight under, yeah. Sh- shoots 10 under on the final round in testing conditions on a very difficult golf course, so hats off to him and, and hopefully this can be the spark that rekindles his career because he hasn't done a great deal for, for a decent amount of time, having previously been a fairly solid player on the PGA Tour. And he does have his own open record, the open record of leading after round one and missing the cut after round two. Not maybe one <laughs> that he'll be looking to repeat at this year's Open. Hopefully not jinxed in there. <laughs> but, you know, whenever, I, whenever anyone mentions the name Rob Pampling, that's the first thing that pops into my head. Uh, apologies, uh, to Rod, <laughs> if he's listening. Um, and Tom, a quick word on Charles Schwartz. Well, that's the fourth time he's won the Alfred Dunhill Championship. Um, and a, a great start to the season. What does it mean for a player to win so early in the season? How, how big a deal is that? Well, at firstly, I mean, when he looks at the tournament schedule and sees that as the first event on the 2016 uh, European Tour schedule, he just not, must not believe it. He goes, oh, OK, well, there you go. I'm off to an absolute flyer before you know anything's <laughs> even started. I mean... He, it's obviously a great start for him. Um, he's played. He just plays that course so well. He's in, obviously, South African conditions. It's amazing how many times South African actually wins in South Africa. They just they just love it there. Um, I mean, I, I love the course because of the uh, the things that you can see around there. They've got the the big game out there, and um, the TV pictures were incredible. But for Schwartz, or he, he he doesn't really have to have a huge year other than obviously wanting to play well. But he's not got a, a Ryder Cup to to get in there or anything like that. He's just hopefully just going to try and push on and really see if he can add to his, his major collection by getting off to a good start, and that's the, that's the best way for him to do it. Yes, it's a great course for him. He obviously loves it. It's in his homeland, and the strength of field is fairly low, given that it follows on from the, the season-ending DP world, so only really the South Africans make the journey across. 
So from a number of angles, it's a great event for him. And he needed that. He's been struggling recently, and I think he needed a low-pressure tournament, we'll call it, to get himself back in the winner's circle, because he has put himself in contention a couple of times of late and not got the job done. So this could be potentially quite big for him going forward. Yeah, it should kickstart a good year for him. We, all, we would all think that, I think. Um, now... As Nick said, a lot of the players weren't in South Africa. A lot of them have taken time out after the DP World Championship. It's a great time of year um, to take a bit of time off, um, have a rethink, think about where they are in the, in the world rankings, figure out what they need to do well. And recently, while I was out in Dubai, after the DP ch Championship, on the Monday after, I caught up with a, a young Englishman by the name of Tyrrell Hatton, and we talked about what exactly that time off had in store. Right, so you join me down here at the Majlis course, uh, the Emirates Golf Club here in Dubai, and it's the day after the final event of the European Tour, and I have a very special guest sat next to me. Um, Tyrrell Hatton is here. Tyrrell, thank you for joining us. No worries, good to be here. Um, and Tyrrell, before we get going, just explain to everybody where we are and what you can see from where we're sat. Well, we're next to the putting green, and we are in a very nice clubhouse. <laughs> oh, I mean, it's, it, exactly. That's I mean, that's what you come to expect in Dubai, isn't it? Everywhere's lovely. Um, but what I want to do is talk a little bit about your your 2015 season, Tyrrell, because it's been a big one for you. You've had some fantastic um, experiences, some great um, results throughout the year. Um, now that the sort of dust has settled on the year itself, which one would you which one would you pinpoint as being the the sort of biggest um, and the best tournament that you, you had of the year? Um, it's a tough one. Between the Irish Open and the European Masters, um, Irish Open, you know, it's, that's the closest I've come to um, winning a tournament. Um, but then, you know, I had a fantastic week at, in Crons. So it's, it's between those two, really. Uh, and from a, a full a full season is a long is a long season. It's a, yeah. a lot of hard work and tiring being on the road for that long. What what would you say have been the the, the sort of big lessons that you've learned? Um, go, yeah, anything that you've taken from this year about either the way that you've played or managing your schedule, things things that might help you going into 2016. Um, I think this year I've been able to manage my schedule a bit better. Obviously, 2014 was my first year on tour, um, and you sort of learn which events you want to play and which events you sort of you will miss um, and you know and, ju and just going from there I mean I played 27 events this year 27 is an awful lot of events huh? <laughs> yeah not not as many as some guys but um, I started in Abu Dhabi so it's been 27 events this calendar year um, the previous year I did 30 but two events were in uh, 2013 in okay. South Africa. Yeah. So um, I generally play quite quite a lot of tournaments, um, and it will probably be the same again next year. And would you say you're a, you're a better player now than you were at the start of the year? Uh, I don't know about that. Unfortunately, <laughs> I haven't had a, a great end to the year. Oh, you, are you? Yeah. Well, I think you're being a bit harsh there. Now you played well this week. I, yeah. I mean, I played well. Played well last week. Um, but my last, I missed missed three cuts out of my last four events um, in the regular season before the final series, and then the final series wasn't um, what I hoped for. Although I, I bettered what I did the previous year, um, it, it was still a little bit disappointing, to be perfectly honest. Um, I'm going to have some time off now and 
enjoy a bit of time away from golf um, and then get ready for next year. So that, that actually brings me on quite nicely. Um, what does time off entail? Time off it, it is complete time off away from the, from the game or do you, will you hit balls between now and the new year? What, what will you do to kind of get yourself away from it all a bit? Uh, I think December will be just enjoy being home. I got my first house earlier this year, um, moved in the week before the USPGA. So, okay, that was fairly intense. Yeah, so Christmas in my in my own home will be will be great, and uh, just see friends. You know, we don't spend much time at home throughout the year, so just you know enjoy the little things, even missing a cup of tea and having some biscuits. You know, <laughs> <laughs> exciting life, eh? <laughs> um, but. It, from from a kind of golfing perspective, is there anything that you'll do in the in the off say off season in the next few weeks to mm. prepare yourself? Is your next tournament back Abu Dhabi at the start of next no, year? I'm, you play? I'm going to do Joburg Open okay. and then I'll do the Desert Swing. Um, I won't be so I won't be hitting balls in December. I might might try and do some gym work, loose loose some timber that I've put on this <laughs> this year. Um, but yeah, it won't be won't be a whole lot doing to be honest uh, and the gym work that you do is that specifically related to I mean how, how is that helping your golf swing can you just give us a bit of an insight into kind of the, the sort of things that you do and how it helps your swing uh, it would just be core core strength really uh, more stability and you know, generate that bit more power power with your core being stronger uh, well thank you Till thanks for joining us and uh, good luck in 2016 thank you very much okay well that was Tyrrell Hatton uh, and it, a lovely bloke, really good to catch up with him out in Dubai. Um, and I'm sure that as the season um, unfolds next year, one thing that might just make it onto his um, list of possible goals for the year even uh, is Ryder Cup. And it would be wrong of us not to start trying to ramp up the uh, excitement about the Ryder Cup, even though it is mid or start of December. Um, and Tom and Nick, I've got the Ryder Cup listing in front of me. Uh, the nine players who currently hold their positions on the Ryder Cup list are as follows. Rory McIlroy, Matt Fitzpatrick, Andy Sullivan, Christopher Broberg, Henrik Stenson, Justin Rose, Victor Dubuisson, Torbjorn Olesen and Lucas Bjerregaard. So there's, I mean, there's an awful lot to talk about here. I'm just going to list some of the names that aren't in there um, just as a starting point. So we have Danny Willett, Martin Keimer, Shane Lowry, Sergio Garcia, Graham McDowell, Ian Poulter, Lee, uh, Lee Westwood and Luke Donald, none of whom are currently in there. Um, it looks as if, I know this is such massively early days, but it looks as if this European team could be quite different. Um, is that how you see it, or do you see those names that I've mentioned there getting themselves back into contention and, and kind of us having more of a familiar-looking Ryder Cup team come, come September? I'm going to go out on a limb here and say we're going to be seeing five rookies. On the European team? Five rookies. You're yeah. wrong. You're wrong. Well, let's look. So, last year's team. Donaldson, no guarantee. Bjorn, no guarantee. Gallagher, no guarantee. Donald, no guarantee. Poulter, probably because of his record, but not playing well. Westwood, no guarantee. And then people like Alexander Levy, Thomas Peters, Tommy Fleetwood as well. He could have a surge and force their way into the team. So, it's going to be a fresh-looking side. Uh, however, I think it's going to be nicely balanced because the likes of Stenson... Rose, McElroy, Garcia, Keimer aren't going to go away, McDowell with his win. So I think we've got really good routing and experience with a lot of exciting rookies. And the same has to be said for the American side. You look at Hunter Mayhem, Webb Simpson, Keegan Bradley, maybe Phil Mickelson. 
there's going to be changes there too with the likes of Justin Thomas, Patrick Rogers coming through, so that should be a great Ryder Cup. I think one thing you've got to remember though is that um, there's going to be three wild card picks this time round. Darren Clark is obviously the captain. He, he's friends with a lot of the guys who are, have been the regular um, Ryder Cup players throughout the, throughout the years. Also, I just don't. Also, it's in America as well. So a lot of those guys listed saying about those rookies, they all play on the European Tour. They haven't got a huge amount of PJ Tour experience. So I think I, I'm, I think there will be a couple of surprises in there. But I think the mainstay of people that we've seen over the last few years will still make it in there. I think it's really important that they do get some rookies in there. I think that's actually why they've had such a good success over yeah. the last few years. Yeah. Um, if you remember back to. Uh, where was the last Ryder Cup played in America? Um, Medina. Oh, oh yes. How can I remember? How can I remember? There you go. That's the one. Um, the American team actually, when they picked the right, uh, their rookie, uh, their wild card. Sorry, uh, they left out Ricky Fowler and a few of the youngsters. Um, I think Hunter Mayer missed out as well, didn't he? Um, so actually, the guys like Jim Furyk got put in. They lost, and then the next time these guys came in and they and they didn't have the um, didn't have the. I can't bloody talk. I think yeah, I think there's a lot to be said for experience. There's also a lot to be said for fearless rookies, and I can't see experience aside and friendship aside how we can justify. Imagine the backlash if Clark picks Westwood when he's done absolutely nothing. So let's look at some of their figures. I've just got jotted down. So Stato, Polter and Westwood have had a combined as many top tens as Justin Rose in 2015. They've each had four. Uh, Lee Westwood hasn't had a top ten since March. And Polter hasn't had a top 10 since June. So if that form continues, even if they are experienced, and even if they do have experience playing in America, surely you can't justify picking them on that form. Well, I think it probably depends what the team looks like in terms of the... But there's enough experience and enough guys who are going to make it who have played two, three, okay, four, well, five riding. Well, let's, let's leave the guys who, who are definitely... who we think the experienced guys who are going to make it. Um, I'm going to put you both on the spot and ask for two names, two rookies... Because as Tom just said, there's always someone always gets in there that you're not expecting. Who would, who for you would be the two players that you think could make it um, to this Ryder Cup? Who would be a surprise package? Thomas Peters and Alex Levy. I'll go with. Peters has experience of playing in America. He, he went to ooh, testing my knowledge. University out there. Yes, I'm, I'm trying to name the college, <laughs> but I actually can't. Uh, so he's played three years. He actually beat. Uh, John Spieth in a couple of competitions while he was out there and he's got huge self-confidence we've actually got a, a feature with him going in the next issue of Gold Pack good, uh, plan. Yeah, good plan. a fascinating interview as well and he's certainly not short of confidence and he has experience in American conditions and Levy I think he's a, a class act an aggressive player and someone who could suit the Ryder Cup format quite well his form's not been outstanding recently but he's a multiple winner on the European Tour he's only young so let's see how he goes next season uh, and I'm going to go with Matthew Fitzpatrick, who I said a couple of weeks ago will be in the Ryder Cup for the next 20 years. So you said he was the next Ian Poulter, didn't you? Yeah. No, I think Roy McIlroy. <laughs> one, one, one of the three. Uh, he's just been brilliant. I think he's got the assets for the game. Uh, also, I always like the guys who just come out of the amateur game because um, they play so much match play golf compared to the pros. I always think they do pretty pretty well in Ryder Cups. The other one is I'm going to go on a complete limb here, and that is, say, Matteo Manassero. For someone who has been 
Wow. Been you know, lauded as a player who, you know, is gonna be the next Sevy and stuff like that. He's won uh, three times the tour. Four times. Four times the, the tour. He's won three times before he turned twenty, which is European tour record. Yeah. <laughs> but he he's more or less just fallen off the planet. You know, he just cannot get around the golf course. But next year I think it's gonna be such a massive year for golf. Four majors, the Olympics and the Ryder Cup. If anyone's gonna have a good year, this is the year to have it. And I think all those you know, I think Westwood Donald. We've already spoken about. I mean, this is their year. This is the you know they're coming to the you know, the twilight years, yeah. Yeah. and what a year it would be. But also the youngsters to have a chance to really push through. This is going to be it. And Manasseh, you know, he, he could be the one that goes through. I think. It, sorry, just to, to cut you off there. Sorry. No, uh, no. Another plug for the magazine. We've actually got an interview with Manasseh going in. Um, he's obviously had some good perspective from this year uh, in the doldrums, and he, he spoke very well about um, realising that perhaps he lost sight of what made him so good in chasing extra distance and, and looking at the likes of Zach Johnson and Jim Furyk as people he looks up to as opposed to the likes of McElroy. So yeah. I think he's going to work very hard in the off-season. He didn't make it to the final series, so he's had a big chunk of time off. So I think potentially come back raring to go in 2016. Well, I think I'd speak for everyone in the media, in the golf media, who's had the chance to work with him in the past, when I say, uh, we, we all hope that he does get back to where he was, because he is genuinely a top bloke, and um, when he's firing on all cylinders, has that kind of gutsy, that, that game that enables him to hold putts at key moments and do big things at key times, it would be a complete shock if, if he got to the end of his career without playing in a Ryder Cup, whether this one is too soon, it might this career of his might need a little bit more rebuilding than that, but we'll see how he goes, and and, and we will hope he, he does well. Um, but that does bring us on to um, our next point of discussion, and I wanted to just to focus on three English players who have been the kind of backbone of British golf over the last uh, probably the last decade or so: Lee Westwood, Luke Donald, and Ian Poulter, and talk about their seasons because none of them have played particularly well this year. As Nick has said, if the Ryder Cup was being picked now, you know, they'd be all quite a long way out of it. Um, Lee Westwood's in his 40s, so a little bit older, maybe he is, maybe he is moving towards the end of his career. But the other two players, um, you wouldn't expect them to their careers to be tailing off now. Um, do you think they are just having a bit of a hiatus within their careers and that, that great golf is just around the corner? Or have we seen the best of these three guys and do we need to be looking forward to some other British talent coming through? I think the fact that there is so much young talent coming through is leaning us to perhaps, is influencing us to perhaps say that these guys, uh, the curtains are coming down. I wouldn't be so sure. I think it's a, a tricky transitional period in the world of golf at the moment and they're trying to figure out who they are almost in the age of big hitting and, and it's very, very difficult to not try and chase that extra yardage when someone's driving it past you 50 yards every hole, uh, as someone like a McElroy would. But, 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 but the likes of, I mean, Lee Westwood certainly wouldn't fall into that category. Not He's Westwood, been one of the best drivers of his generation. Yeah, I'm talking more about Donald and Poulter here. But now I think they've realised that the way they can still be successful, you know, looking at the likes of Furyk and Johnson, they can still be successful they just stick to their game plan. But I'm going to play devil's advocate here, Nick. They're both seasoned pros. They, Roy didn't just come along on the scene and change golf. 
you know, there's always been big hitters in the past who have made people slightly wary of the fact they might be a little bit shorter. But Lee Westwood, sorry, but um, Luke Donald and Ian Poulter, we're never going to start hitting the ball like Rory. That's ridiculous to think. But what they can do, what they both did better than Rory, certainly when Luke was at world number one and when Ian Poulter was doing his stuff at the Ryder Cup, was that their short games were razor sharp. It looks like that's the area of the game that actually they need to concentrate on. And the point is, they're seasoned professionals. They should know that, shouldn't they? They should know that they'll they never hit the ball like Rory. We're in, this is a massive paradigm shift for the game of golf, whereas before there were maybe five, ten people who were bombing it out there. Now everyone's doing it, and it can lead you to think, God, I need to make strides. But Jordan Spieth is world number one. You wouldn't say he was bombing it out there. Yeah, but he's considerably longer than Donald Poulter. Anyway, I think that their mindset perhaps has been affected, and I think... The reason that they're short games and putting perhaps isn't as sharp as it has been is because they've taken that little bit of time and dedicated that elsewhere. And all it needs at this level is that little bit of time to be taken off what you're very good at and put somewhere else to make a huge impact. And now Donald, 76th in the world, Poulter, 56th in the world, Westwood, 55 in the world. I, I don't for any minute think that Donald and Poulter are done, um, but they really need to put some hard work in and, and really focus on what's got them to the top of the rankings in the first place. I, th- I think, is, again, we should go back to that they're very good at playing well when it really matters. And last year, with no Ryder Cup, I know we've always got the four majors and stuff like that, and they want to play well every year, but 2016 is such a huge year for golfers, as I've already mentioned. I can't help but thinking that people are actually just looking forward to that for all the majors, the Olympics and the Ryder Cup. Porter's always been streaky. He's never been. He's never going to be world yeah, number. He's never going to be world number one because he, that's not his game. But when he gets going, he's brilliant to watch and he's fantastic. And he, you know, he, he's he's the person that everybody wants to watch when he's like that. Um, Donald, of course, his whole game was about consistency, and I hope that actually we get to see a bit more of that. I think it was coming back a little bit actually at the yeah, end of last season. Yeah. To be honest, to, to be to be fair to yeah. him. And I'd actually hope to see him, hopefully a couple of events in Europe, and the same for Westwood actually, not playing quite so much in America, play a few more events in Europe. And I think that would just really help them, going to play in these places which they know so well, uh, but seem to have not been at for the last couple of years. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I think Westwood, I may be making this up, but I think Westwood came out and said he was going to play more in Europe next year. Being a little bit unkind on Donald's year, I think he finished fifth at the British Masters. Um, But it would be great to see them back in Europe as as well and maybe that's what they need to just get their careers back I'm sure I'm sure Darren Clark will will have a quiet word in a few years and Mm. and if he thinks that's the way they should be going I have no doubt in my mind thinking that he will tell them that and maybe do you know maybe that is what they will need they do need to play a few more regular European tour events and kind of refocus on those those tournaments that got them into the position in the first place we'll see there's Plenty of golf to be played between now and the Ryder Cup and the Olympics. Tom, and I'm sure the Olympics is a massive thing for all of these guys. And if they can get into that team, they'll feel like they can. Um, then they'll go all guns blazing to try and do it. Yeah, the, the caveat, the, not criticism, is the fact that if there's ever going to be a year that you raise your game, it's the year where there's the Olympics and the Ryder Cup. So let's see, and these guys are all battlers and hardened pros who, who really do have that desire. So. Fingers crossed that they get back to where they belong. OK, well, that, that leads us on to our last talking point. And um, in many ways, it would be wrong not to mention him. We haven't mentioned him in, in our podcast yet. But um, Tiger Woods is, even though he's not playing golf, still a huge talking point. He's been named as a, as a vice-captain for uh, David Slough's Ryder Cup team um, at Hazel Time. 
and he turns 40 later this month. Um, his current world ranking, Tom, is... Come on. Put me on the spot. Of what? It's, it's higher than it was before. Um, <laughs> Let's have a little game higher or lower. Yeah. Exactly. Stato, can you help me? I must say somewhere in the region of 280. Yeah, that's, that's reasonably high. That's close to you, Nick. <laughs> but, but, I mean, Tiger, it's, I think it's really good. No, we haven't got to the bottom of this. Oh, I don't know. But we'll, well, you where's, your fo- where's your phone? Where's you your phone? yourself golf um, aficionados. Um, and it's 384, actually. Oh, there you go. <laughs> it's almost oh, exactly it says, as it says written on the bit of paper there in front of you, which is hidden. <laughs> hey, I was the only one to do some research before coming in. Um, no, but he's, he's now 384. He, um, not years old, that's his world ranking. <laughs> um, he's accepted a place as a vice captain on, on Davis Love's team. Um, is Tiger done for? Absolutely not. I have a huge bet with one of my friends. Huge. Uh, especially for me, we're talking over ten pounds here. Um, that he will still break, still break Jack Nicklaus's record of major wins. Um, I know at the moment that's very unlikely, and that's because he's not fit. Let's face it. When he's fit, he's still one of the best people out there, uh, especially around the courses where majors are played. Now, I think it's great that he's going to be a vice captain because actually it shows a little bit that he's actually trying to give a little bit more to the game than just himself, which has always been the, something which has been thrown at him. Um, Devil's Advocate again. Uh, is it, could it potentially in any way be seen as a sort of slightly commercial move, that a way of keeping himself involved in the highest level of the game to ensure that that um, position on the Forbes money list that he, uh, he's held for many years now uh, doesn't fade away from him? You know, like a very expensive divorce. Well, you could say that. I don't think there'd be any grounds for saying that, to be quite honest with you. Um, I think he actually just wants to be involved in the game of golf. He's hardly played for, it feels like, two years now. And everybody wants to see him around. Everyone wants to see him, of course. And correct me if I'm wrong, but he can still qualify for... The Ryder Cup, can't he? He, he can. He's going to have to play an awful lot better than well, he has in the last year, though. Well, that's, yeah, that's true. He's actually just got to play some rounds of golf, and we hope that his injuries are not so bad. Any, I, I would always tip him round Augusta. His record around there is ridiculous. And all he needs to do is have a very one very, very good week at a major, and he'll be in that team. So, although it's great that he's going to be there, whatever, and I think he can give a lot of advice to... A lot of people on the American team. Um, I think it's slightly cynical to say that he's only doing that to help himself out. When you get into his position, people often say things like that because, well, because he's so good, he can't possibly just be doing it for the love of golf. Well, he is being paid. Let's, he's being paid an awful lot of money, for instance, by Nike. Um, Nike won't want to see him not being a part of the big-time golf arena given that he's now 384th in the world, he's probably not. Yeah. He, he might, might not, not be yeah. earning the sort of money that he's being paid, as it were. Yeah, I understand so, that, but whenever he just does something because he wants to do it, everyone tries to analyse it more than it needs to be analysed and bring in all these other factors, when I think on a most binary level, he probably is just doing it because he, he misses... He doesn't, he, his friends are there. He misses being around the game of golf at a professional level and he has something to offer. Yeah, yeah, I think, I think, you're, I think yeah, I'm just playing devil's advocate. Yeah, I think you're yeah, but, and, and one thing I would say is that he did finish, as Tom said, he did finish, I think he was 17th at the Masters this year, which, given how badly he, he was playing, is probably one of his finest achievements of recent times, actually. Um, and Nicholas, 
I'm thinking about Tiger and Tiger's future career. Can you see him continuing if he has another year like he had this year? Let's say we're, we're sitting here in 12 months' time. Will Tiger put up with another year like he's had? Ooh. Hard to say at this point. <laughs> sitting on the fence. I'm Not like you. <coughs> I'm interested to see uh, the injury prognosis this week because it's his, his event. And he dodged questions very well about various ailments recently. So if you get to get a firm prognosis, I think you, you think from our mindset there has to come a time when he draws curtains on the career. However, we don't think like Tiger Woods. Uh, and as Tom alluded to, there are so many courses on the global golfing circuit that he can go, basically rock up to with very little practice and still fancy himself to compete, Augusta being one. So... You're telling me that you know, a 45-year-old Woods who may have struggled with injuries for another couple of years still isn't going to be playing Augusta in 2020, 40 years. But he won't, well, I say he won't, I don't think he would put, put himself in a position where he is unable to win a tournament. Entering a tournament is so far out from being able to win it. But I think, I think he, he yeah. believes he can win every tournament. Absolutely. Believe believe there's, there's a point, though, which... Reality needs to kick in. And I agree with you, that mindset, that kind of winner's mindset, but that was why he was winning. It's easy to have that winner's mindset when you're winning every week. This, this time, he's finishing missing cuts, he's finishing last in some of the tournaments he's playing in. It's not easy to have that winning mindset when you finish last. So when Tiger rocks up at the tournament, he's playing horrifically, and he says, I firmly believe I can win this event. Like at the opening show, I sat in on this press conference, he said, I firmly believe I can win this event. I genuinely believe that he believed he could win the event. Did you not? Um, I think Tiger's a master, an absolute master of self-belief and confidence. So I think yes, but I, I do. I, I sat in on the same press conference and I do think he thought he could win. But fast forward to the point we're at now where he's had more and more disappointments, more and more miscuts. That self-belief, that you know, unwavering self-confidence that he's had during his career... Surely, surely at some point it's going to take a hit. He has to see the reality of the situation. He hasn't won a tournament for however many years. You can't keep turning up to the majors thinking, I'm better than Jordan Spieth, I'm better than Rory Mack. But he's got an excuse. You can always blame on the injuries. I, I think, I think... If he has a year of complete, completely injury-free year and he plays terrifically, but then we start to question, maybe he start to doubt himself. But he can always make an argument to himself, oh, I've played badly here, but you know, my back hurt or... I, I think it's really down to two, two things, really. Firstly is, if he's in a tournament, that tournament is better. The sponsors of that tournament love him. It doesn't matter about Rory or Jordan Spieth or Jason Day. If Tiger Woods is in the tournament, he will still get the, the biggest galleries following around because of what he's done. And people know when he's on fire, he's still the best person to watch play golf in the world. And that's why everyone loved him. The second thing is, I think he still had a plan with his dad to try and beat Jack Nicklaus's record. And in his head, he's not going to give up until he, you know, he's completely broken. Because he said that with his dad. And now, that's been said before in the past and bits and pieces like that. So those are the two things that I think we've always got to remember. So even if he is playing horrendously and he's got all these injuries... I think we're going to see him around for a lot longer. Yeah, and definitely. he's actually, I know he's, he, he pushed the game, so, you know, we're going to the gym and being fit and being like that. 
His body, although it's been broken in pieces, he could actually last a lot longer because he is actually a very, still a very fit sportsman. For argument's sake, say he's hampered by injuries for another two years, age of 42. He will still believe that he can win majors up until the age of 50. I mean, what's the oldest person to win a major? Was it, what, 48, 48 years old? Mm-hmm. Jack Boros? Was it? Uh, Jack in 46. Who's 46? 46. Uh, and, and people have won events in the PC the other day, 56. People have won events late 40s. So he'll believe that he can go and do that. So I don't see him ever really calling time unless a medical professional sits down and says, I'm afraid your body's simply unable to, to cope with the demands of professional golf anymore. Okay, Nick. Um, one last question then for both of you. If. Take, Take Tiger's, Tiger's situation. situation. Does golf need Tiger now? Yes, I think he still needs it because he's the major superstar. It's like saying, did basketball need Michael Jordan at the end of his career? Yes, it did. And actually, when he's left, I know there's been other people like Kobe Bryant's retired this year, uh, this week, and stuff like that. But every sport needs its heroes, and it's. Massive heroes, it's huge stars. It's like football, people still talk about Pele. Pele hasn't played for decades. He still rocks up every World Cup and everyone goes to his press conferences and stuff like that. Golf, although we've got all the youngsters, it's still great to have these guys who we know, these giants of the game, the people who have done it, who have won everything. But playing as opposed to being in an ambassadorial role, you think playing? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Because that's the, he's going to still inspire people to play golf. People, inspire, people got into the game of golf because of his computer game, for goodness sake. A lot of people love playing computer game, and they, they still do, even though it's not called it anymore. But, you know, people, he will get people still to play golf, to come and watch golf, turn on their TV, and now more than ever we need that. Uh, from, from a viewer's perspective or a sponsor's perspective, are we talking about? I'm talking about the, the, the growth and the good of the game. Does, does golf need Tiger? I think if you look at the, the various pieces of data that are available uh, when he's playing, when he's not playing. Uh, for example, I think Phoenix Open this year when he announced he was playing, they had to construct a second media centre for the journalists to come down. Ticket sales went through the roof. They had to put on about 40 extra buses from various hotels in the area, purely because Woods was playing and he was still in horrendous form at that time. And he went on to shoot, what, 82? Yeah, I think you're right. That's part of the fascination, isn't it, when you play badly? But I think the focus on Woods... Perhaps is influencing some people not to look at the bigger picture, and it's hugely healthy for the game of golf. We talked about that on last week's podcast. You think that a Tiger Woods who rocks up each tournament and then misses the cut horrendously and injures himself isn't good, but the, the, the viewership is there always when he's there. It's 50 to 100 percent higher than it would normally be. Sponsors absolutely love it. Everyone's mad for Woods still, and he's still. At that age where he can still turn it around, and I think that's what's keeping everyone interested. If he gets to 48, 49, and everyone realises that he's done, I think if you honestly asked every golf journalist out there if Tiger Woods is done, half of them would say not. So we'll see. Uh, yes, I think the game still needs him, uh, provided he still has the potential to do well, which he does at this moment in time. Yeah, well, uh, I think we all agree that, that Tiger's career. Is hanging slightly in the balance. He needs. A, he does need to come back and play well. But um, we'd all like to see him back uh, performing at his very best because, frankly, golf is a far more exciting place with Tiger than without. And as Nick said, even if he's playing poorly, it's part of the story, isn't it? It's part of the journey that he's on. And um, and golf without Tiger just isn't quite the same, I guess.
But then generations, generations come to an end, Mickelson's going to be done soon, Woods is going to be done soon, it's about these new guys coming through to, to carry the bucket, and I think they will do that well. I mean, there's a whole host of really talented, exciting players with, from different parts of the world with good stories, so you know, let's not be too negative about this. When Woods finally does call time in his career, we're still going to be in a fairly good, good position. OK, well, that's, that's the Tiger subject covered off. It's a fairly big one, and I think the game of golf would, um, would certainly benefit from seeing Tiger back to his best, but whether or not he can remains to be seen. It'll certainly be interesting to watch next year. Um, thank you for joining us this week on The Clubhouse. Um, if you're interested in what Golf Monthly are up to, please head over to the Golf Monthly website. We have a, um, a fantastic advent calendar competition running throughout December, so if you're into your golf and into your golf gear in particular, Head over there because there is every day we're giving away uh, something different. Keep an eye on what we're up to on social media. Obviously, we're we're um, all over Twitter and Facebook as you would expect. So uh, please keep an eye on that, and you'll see exactly what we're up to every week. But for now, from the podcast team, it's goodbye.